want to start by saying thank you to all the kids who came up here and sang their hearts out for all of you. Thank you, children. You did a wonderful job. Thank you very much. And then I want to say thank you to Ellen and Elise because they've been working with these kids really hard, teaching the motions, making sure that they had the, the music and the kids were, were singing everything right and loud and they did a wonderful job as well. Thank you guys very much. And I know there are many parents and grandparents who may not have been able to come and, and watch that, um, but we live stream our our services so if you go to our YouTube channel you, you'll be able to see that as well and you can share it with with family across the country um, I was I was scrolling through YouTube the other day and I you know some videos just tend to have titles that, that jump out at you and, and grab your attention and I came across one by a channel called screen crush and the title just it sucked me in right away the title was, Why Star Wars Attack of the Clones is Hated, But Great. And if you, if you don't know a whole lot about Star Wars, the prequel trilogy was pretty much hated. That is until the sequel trilogy came out. Then people started liking the prequels more. But the, the prequel trilogy hasn't received all that much love. The, the first one, The Phantom Menace, it came out and it had some valid criticisms but generally, I think people were hopeful because there was more Star Wars content coming out. They were going to be able to hear the story of Anakin's fall to the dark side. And so there was hope and expectation in that one. In Revenge of the Sith, again, there were some issues, but people were excited to, to finally have that, that story completed of Anakin's fall to the dark side to to see how that all played out. But in between, in between you had Attack of the Clones. And it wasn't the hopeful beginning and it wasn't the exciting climax. It just kind of sat there in the middle and received all the hate, some of it justifiably. But as this YouTube video went on to explain, this, this story was, I mean, it was equivalent to some of the, the classic plays and how it, how it unfolded. In fact, it, it did a whole lot for the story that Revenge of the Sith wouldn't have necessarily worked if it didn't have Attack of the Clones to, to give that character development and to explain some of that backstory. Now we could look throughout this story to see what exactly it was that, that caused Anakin to fall to the dark side because clearly Revenge of the Sith, that's when it happened. But it started long before that. And you could look and you could say, well, it was, it was Palpatine's orchestrating of, of Anakin and Padme's relationship. That's what started it. You could look at it, the, the seeds of doubt that were planted about the Jedi Order and, and say that started it. But as they argued, and I would probably have to agree, the moment where Anakin really started falling to the dark side was with the death of his mother. Because when he discovered the death of his mother at the hands of the sand people, Anakin gave in to his rage and he slaughtered all of them, killing them, men, women, children, all of them like animals. And this, I would say, was that defining moment. It was the, the watershed moment for Anakin where he began his descent to the dark side. 
Now, if you don't know that term, the, a watershed moment, it comes from a, from a geographical formation where we, we live near the Badlands. And we live semi-near the Rocky Mountains. And everybody in North Dakota, I know, has heard and, and studied the, the story of, of Lewis and Clark's expedition. Everybody knows that story. It's required to graduate high school in North Dakota. What they were looking for was that watershed. They were looking for that point where the water began to flow the opposite direction toward the west coast. That's what a watershed is. It is that, that peak, that crevice, where, where things begin to go in the other direction. On one side of the watershed, things go this way, and on the other, they flow down in the opposite direction. It's not the ultimate destination, but it is the beginning of the movement toward that destination, and that was what Anakin's watershed moment was. It was not his fall to the dark side, but it began him down that path. That was his defining moment. And that's what we've been saying about Christmas. Christmas was a defining moment. It, it did more than just divide our calendar between B.C. and A.D. There was much more to it than just a calendar change. Christmas was that dividing line between the age of promise and the age of fulfillment. Because God had been telling everybody, this is what's coming. This is what I'm going to do. This is how my salvation will come to the world. And in the incarnation of Christ, it wasn't the final event, but it was that watershed moment where things began to go towards the fulfillment of all of God's promises. And that's what we see as Jesus is explaining this in his hometown of Nazareth. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. In fact, I'll just read it here rather than explaining it to you. Luke chapter 4, starting with verse 16. It says, Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been raised. On the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue, as he normally did, and stood up to read. The synagogue assistant gave him the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners, and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the synagogue assistant, and sat down. Every eye in the synagogue was fixed on him. He began to explain to them, today... This scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. Jesus fulfilled the prophecies. All of those promises, everything that God said was going to happen, was fulfilled in Christ. And that's what he begins explaining to them. He begins teaching them about this passage. This comes from the passage of uh, prophecy in Isaiah chapter 61. And this prophecy, as was known by these people, was explaining who the Messiah was and what the Messiah was going to do. And this is what Jesus begins teaching them. I, I need to take a, a little pause here and explain something, because there's some cultural differences here that I think is, are important for us to understand. This is how we normally do church on Sundays. 
Everybody comes together, and we'll do some singing of songs, and, and the pastor will read the, the scripture passage, and then stand up on the platform and begin to teach everything that, that went into that and how it's applied to our lives. That's how we do church. The Jewish synagogue was different. They would have somebody come and read the scripture just as Jesus did. But they had a very high view of scripture. You did not dare sit down while you were reading God's word. It was disrespectful even to, to lean on something while you were reading God's word. Thus Jesus stood in their presence and read from the prophet as was customary. And then he sat down. Now, in our culture, we would say, well, once he sits down, he's done talking. He's going to pass it off to whoever is going to stand because that's the person speaking. The person standing in front is the one that's going to give the teaching. But to stand in contrast to the standing and the reverence for God's word, it was customary that the one teaching would come and sit down in front of the people. That's what this is explaining, that, that Jesus read to them from the prophet. And then he sat down to teach them. And that's why all the eyes and ears were upon him to hear what he had to say. And this is what it says their reaction was. Everyone was raving about Jesus. So impressed were they by the gracious words flowing from his lips. They said, this is Joseph's son, isn't it? As Jesus began explaining to them, teaching them what this passage meant, they were impressed. They were in awe about the, the gracious words that were coming from his lips. We, we see this other places in scripture as it talks about Jesus teaching the people. People are always amazed and shocked and surprised by the authority by which he teaches and I can imagine that's the same thing happening here as Jesus sits down and, and they begin hearing his words as he explains to them this prophecy about the Messiah. They're amazed by his words, surprised by the authority by which he speaks. But then there's that little voice in the back of their heads. Isn't this Joseph's son? I've said on multiple occasions I grew up the youngest of three children. I have a sister that's a couple years older than me. And as with any sister, she tried to get me to do things I didn't want to do. That's what big sisters do to little brothers. It's, I think it's like written in law or something. But she would always try to get me to go get her a drink or go get her a snack. And it even got to the point where she was trying to get me to do her chores for her. And being a naive little brother, it, it worked sometimes. But eventually I began to catch on. And I, if she told me that I needed to do something, I didn't believe her. And then she started invoking my mom's authority. No longer would she say, go to the kitchen and get me something to drink, or this is the chore you need to do. She would come and tell me, mom said that you need to do this. And again, it worked. But I caught on. And it, at that point, I, I stopped listening because I knew that she did not have that authority. She didn't have the authority to tell me what to do. And that's what I can imagine taking place right here. As these people are listening to Jesus, 
they are amazed and they are awed by what he is saying, by, by the grace of his words, by the authority by which he teaches. But then there's that, but wait a minute. We know him. He's not a prophet. This is Joseph's son. We, he was raised right here in the synagogue. We're the ones that told him what this passage meant. Who is he to begin telling us what, what God's Messiah has come to do? Because you see, there was, there, was a lot of there was a lot of understanding. They, they had been taught what the Messiah was going to look like and the one that Jesus was telling them about. That didn't sound like the Messiah they had grown up hearing about. And thus, their response in verse 23. Jesus said to them, undoubtedly, you will quote this saying to me. Doctor, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard you did in Capernaum. Pretty much their response was my response to my sister. You're saying that you have the authority. You're saying that I'm supposed to do this because of your word. Prove it. Prove to me that mom really said that. Prove to me that God has really said this is what the Messiah is supposed to do. That this is who the Messiah is supposed to be. And so Jesus goes on, giving them a reprimand, if you will, saying, I assure you that no prophet is welcome in, his, in the prophet's hometown. And I can assure you that there were many widows in Israel during Elijah's time when it didn't rain for three and a half years and there was a great food shortage in the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to a widow in the city of Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. There were also many persons with skin diseases in Israel during the time of the prophet Elisha. But none of them were cleansed. Instead, Naaman the Syrian was cleansed. Jesus' response to them is, you guys have already made up your mind. You guys have already decided that you can't listen to me, that you can't take the, the words that I am giving, even though I speak with authority and you recognize it, you've already decided because... A prophet's not received in his hometown. Because you guys have these preconceived ideas, you have rejected. Not only was he teaching them that, but he was explaining to them that the fulfillment by which, of which he already spoke, the promises that, that God had given, they were for all people. You see, the Jews had this understanding that they were God's chosen people because they were. God gave the promise to Abraham that, that through them, the whole world would be blessed. But they took that to understand that they would be blessed, and basically all the, the heathen Gentiles, well, they would receive God's vengeance. In fact, the passage that Jesus was reading from Isaiah chapter 61, it goes on to explain God's vengeance and, and God's wrath that would be, that would be issued but Jesus didn't read that part because that part hadn't come to fulfillment yet. Jesus was explaining to them, this is who the Messiah is supposed to be. This is who God has promised that the Messiah would be. But just because you're Jews, just because you're God's chosen people doesn't give you a free pass. Because if you reject it, if you reject God's Messiah, just like the people of Israel did when God was, 
was issuing judgment on them, they won't receive God's blessing. And God's blessing will go to the rest of the world as he has promised. The Messiah has come. But for those who reject him, the blessing is forfeit. Obviously, they were not too happy with this. And so it says, when they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was filled with anger. They rose up and ran him out of town. They led him to the crest of the hill on which their town had been built so that they could throw him off the cliff. But he passed through the crowd and went on his way. You see, this was their watershed moment. This was when they had the opportunity to go in a different direction. God had brought to them the truth of the Messiah. But that truth of the Messiah did not line up with their preconceived idea, with the picture that they had painted for themselves. And so they rejected it. Now we can look at it and say, well, that's silly. Why wouldn't you believe the truth? Why wouldn't, when the truth is presented and presented with authority, why wouldn't you just believe what is true? And it's because they had this picture of what they wanted the Messiah to be, how they wanted the Messiah to act, and what they wanted the Messiah to do. And the reality that Jesus was presenting didn't match what they wanted. It's a really simple idea. In fact, I, I think the best way to describe it is through a video clip. Supper's ready! Come on, y'all! I've been slaving over this for hours! Dear Lord, baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR, as we call them. And, of course, my red-hot smoking wife, Carly, who's a stone-cold fox. Mm. also want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Naughton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. Shake and bake. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible, and the dogs are always mm. bothering with it. Mm. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. Dear tiny Jesus, your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled-up fist pawing. He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races and I get the money. Ricky, finish the grace. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because it says, like, I want to be formal, right. but I'm here to party, too. Because I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus, like, with giant eagle's wings yeah. and singing lead 
Vocals for Leonard Skinner with like an angel band. And I'm in the front row. Hey, Cal. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Dear eight pound, six ounce, newborn infant Jesus. Don't even know a word yet. Just a little infant, so cuddly, mm. but still omnipotent. Mm. We just thank you for all the races I've won and the $21.2 million. Woo! 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 Ow! Love that money that I have accrued over this past season. Also, due to a binding endorsement contract that stipulates I mentioned Powerade at each grace, I just want to say the Powerade is delicious mm. and it, it cools you off on a hot summer day. And we look forward to Powerade's release of Mystic Mountain Blueberry. Mm. Thank you for all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Amen. 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 Let's dig in. That was a hell of a grace, man. You nailed that like a split hole. I appreciate that. I'm not going to lie to you. It felt good. It's crazy. It, I mean, it's a comical moment that he would sit there and pray to an infant, baby, tiny Jesus. And we can laugh at the absurdity of all of that. But the truth is we have a tendency to make God as we want him to be. We tend to, to form God in our own image. Well, I like to have fun. So I want Jesus to be one who likes fun and, and put on a tuxedo t-shirt and, and we're going to have fun together, just me and Jesus, because that's the Jesus that I want. Or, or I want a cool Jesus. And so I need him with, with eagle wings and singing for Leonard Skinner. You know, I need, I want a powerful Jesus. One who can do everything that I need and is available anytime that I want him. But not when I don't. No requirements, nothing that I need to do. He's, he's there when I need him, and I can push him aside whenever it's convenient. It's easy to laugh at the absurdity of that clip, but we tend to do it as well. And it's really easy for us to make the same mistake and and have the same attitude of our namesakes, the Nazarenes. As they were presented with the truth of the Messiah, but they said, no, that's not the kind of Messiah that I want. That's not what I was expecting, that I don't want that to be true. And so, when confronted with the truth, they became angry. They, they tried to silence the voice that spoke truth it was their watershed moment and they rejected it but as we said christmas was that moment when things began to change when the line was drawn and each of us has those moments in our lives as well when we are presented with that choice to to accept what God has given, the blessings for all mankind, or to reject them in favor of our own image of what we want God to be. I remember my first watershed moment. I was like one of these kids up here. I was in third grade, and my parents hadn't taken me to church. I didn't know a whole lot about Jesus, but I came to watch some, some of my family members at church. Do a program. 
And the pastor got up and he told me about Jesus. And he explained about how all of us have done wrong. All of us have sinned. We know it deep in our hearts. We know we haven't always been good and perfect, that we have not lived up to God's holy standard. And that the only way is through the Savior that God has given. And so that day, I accepted Christ as my Savior. And the trajectory of my life changed at that watershed moment. But God continues to call us. In the Church of the Nazarene, we believe in a second work of grace, where God calls us to a deeper relationship with Him. I'll confess I was not quite so eager to receive that one. God continued to present himself to me and, and to call me into a deeper relationship. And I, much like the Nazarenes, much like Ricky Bobby, I said, no thanks. I like this picture of God. The God that will do what I want and nothing more. The God that doesn't require anything of me. And that I can just pull out of the drawer whenever it's convenient. So I rejected that time and time again. Over a period of 10 years, I wrestled with God. Until my watershed moment came yet again on the back roads of Moline, Illinois. When I gave up my picture of God. And I said, God, your truth is what matters, not my idea of what God is like. And so I will trust in you. I will give my life, my family, my future, whatever that may be. I will surrender that over to you. Now that's my story. But each of you has a different one. Each of you has those moments. Maybe you've been in church for forever and, and God has been calling you to that deeper relationship. But you've been, just like me, rejecting it. Deciding that what you want is superior. Your way is, is going to get you the place you want to go more than God's way is. Or maybe, maybe you haven't had that first watershed moment. I read a recent study that said of adults that regularly attend church, at least 15% of them don't attest to have received salvation having had that first watershed moment where they accept the sacrifice of Christ for their sins. Christmas was a dividing line between God's promises and their fulfillment. It was the watershed moment where God's salvation came into the world and made a way for you and for me. But just like those in Nazareth, we have a choice. We can choose to cling to our view of Jesus, that, that tiny infant Jesus that, that does exactly what we want, never says anything against us, and just makes us feel good. Or we can start going the other direction down that watershed and receive what Christ has for us. To make us holy to call us to righteousness. This morning, I want to give you that opportunity, that watershed moment, 
But just like those, those in Nazareth, the choice is yours. We're going to stand and sing one closing song. And during this song, if you would like to come and pray, or if you want to stay where you are and, and pray and change the course of your life through Jesus, I would encourage you to do so. Let's stand as we close in song. Lord Jesus, may that be our prayer. That we would allow you into our hearts. That we would receive that watershed moment that our lives would change trajectory, that we would go we go in a different direction because of you. God, take us deeper in relationship with you. God, teach us more and more about who you are and who you have called us to be. And God, during this Christmas season, when it's all too easy to get caught up in, in a little baby and, and in the, the lights and the presents, God, may we make room in our hearts for you to speak to us. That we wouldn't settle for some caricature of who you are, but that we would receive the truth of your Messiah and your love. Go with us this day. And God, walk with us this week as we seek after you. In the holy name of Jesus we pray. Amen. God bless you all. We'll see you next week.